Good morning, Eastside Church friends and family. I'm glad you're joining us this morning. We're uh, online and uh, going to continue in our series that we've begun really just a few weeks ago that dealing with some of the issues that we have going on today. One of the things I want to do today is just answer the question, you know, how can I help be part of the solution instead of part of the problem? How can I bring about positive change? And to answer that question, I really want to glean from the testimony of God given to us in the book of Daniel. Daniel is a, a, a great story of, uh, of, and a great picture of injustice. You see somebody that's a POW, really, uh, you know, somebody that's enslaved and uh, certainly didn't want to be there. You know, he's part of the church. He, uh, he, he, he was serving the Lord with all his heart. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart. He was doing his very best. You see that even at a young age, he was committed to the ways of the Lord. And so God gives us this, this scripture. And to me, it's almost like he gave it to us for today. It's almost like he said, here, I've got your solution laying right in front of you. And it's in Daniel. Daniel chapter one, if you open your Bibles with me, we'll go to Daniel chapter one. And I'm gonna read through uh, verse 21. Uh, we, we're we're kind of going to skip around in Daniel, but this is this is just the opening that just talks about you know the condition and uh, the, the the God's hand was even in the capturing of the church. We'll see that as we go. Verse one: During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem to besiege it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Did you see that? The Lord gave him victory. Who? Nebuchadnezzar over King Je uh, Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar is permitted by God to take those sacred objects. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspidaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Say that, as captives. Select one strong, healthy, and good-looking young man. Select only, excuse me, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning or gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azriah were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names and they were as follows. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Anania, I think, was called Shadrach. Meshael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. 
Those are hard names to pronounce. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And that's the, that's the focus. Daniel was determined. He was determined not to defile himself by eating food given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will behead me. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel and his three friends. And he said this, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The intended agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better. Again, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four men, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding of uh, 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 understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. God gave him. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel and his three friends. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Now I think it's always um, impressive to me in scripture. You see so many, you know, you see Simon the sorcerer and you, you see these magicians and these enchanters being talked about and you, they, they're talked about that they have power, they have abilities to see in the supernatural. And that is never denied in scripture. It's never denied in scripture that they did have those powers, but it wasn't from the Lord. And what it's saying here that God gave these four Hebrew boys 10 times the capability than he did these others getting their information from somewhere else. So Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. And so here we have this tremendous picture of injustice. Well, how did they get here? How did Daniel find himself in this place? The, the first thing that I, I just kind of want to address today is oftentimes in the church world, as we sit, and, and the thing that will keep us from getting the message of the story of Daniel is bad theology that says God doesn't judge his own. If you have the theology that, that, that everything is going to be good and that, and that you know, uh, the promises of God are yours, they're yes and amen, and so nothing ever bad is going to happen, I think it's a, a theology that we really need to look at because Daniel was serving the Lord with all his heart when he was taken captive and he became a prisoner of war. He became a slave, which is the picture 
of injustice. Why did he become that? Because the people of God were following the ways of the world. The reason John, Daniel and his buddies were subjected to, to the, the slavery, the, the, the imprisonment, was because the people of God had, had followed the ways of the world. They had begin, begun to follow the, the gods of the world, the other gods of the world, and, and God took his hand off. God gave Nebuchadnezzar, an unbeliever, the ability to overtake King Jehoiakim and, and to take the, the sacred items from the temple. God empowered that. God made that happen. Why? To bring judgment on the church, but also to allow in the midst of imprisonment and slavery and injustice for Hebrew boys to influence a culture that never would have been influenced by the kingdom of God had they not been taken into captivity. And so we see it happening because the people of God begin to follow the ways of the world. They begin to worship other gods. Uh, as we, as we look at our culture today, one of the things that I see is I, I see Christianity being mingled in with a lot of different other religions. And that really makes me nervous. That makes me nervous even when we have prayer meetings with other religions. You know, if we get the Muslims together and the Hindus together and the, you know, the, 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 the Jehovah's Witnesses together, the Mormons together and the Christians together, and we all have a prayer meeting together, makes me nervous. Makes me nervous. Why does it make me nervous? Because I've never seen anywhere in Scripture where God likes to share His glory with other gods. I would I want to ask the question: Can you think of one place in Scripture where God shares the platform with other God and gods and are and is satisfied with that worship? You know, God uh, God is is a God of righteousness, and when we begin to to mix that up, I think we can expect judgment. And, and Daniel, in this story of Daniel, as they begin to be held captive, I think what you, can, what you can glean from it is, again, we see, like we did with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, as he, he has conversation with God, that there is a lack of righteousness, and that lack of righteousness removes the hand of God on the, on the church. Jack Hayford used to say all the time, he used to say, you know, he, he said at a leadership conference I, I was at, and he, I heard him say it on multiple occasions, his greatest fear isn't that God will leave him because Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's that, it's that his greatest fear is that God will take his hand off his life and allow him to reap his own doing. God's always going to be with us, and he's always got a lesson in mind, and he always wants to bring us back to righteousness. But if we, if we forsake the ways of God, then God's hand is removed from the life of the church, and we're in danger of doing that now. But here's the good news. The good news is God wants to use the church to bring revival to this nation. God wants to use the church to, 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 um, to minister in a way to a perverse generation that can only be ministered to if we commit our way to righteousness, if we commit our way to the to the Word of God. You know, I'll, I ask myself, do you think do you think Daniel and his and his uh, three buddies do you think they could see this judgment coming? 
Do you, do you think that they, as they, as they experienced their culture in that day, before Nebuchadnezzar took over or, or any of those things happened, do you think that they saw the generation in decline? Do you think they saw the culture in decline? Most likely the answer is absolutely. They had to be able to see it coming if they were committed to righteousness. I think you and I could would agree that that we we see that you know as you take prayer out of school as 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 you you know uh, as abortion and the rights for abortionists increase as as um, you know we have this uh, the this the the desire to push sexual immorality down the throats of a culture. As we see those things degrading in our society, we have to be aware. We have to be able to say, man, if, we, if the church doesn't do its job, something's coming. And so what we need to do is, when we see these times coming, we need to respond as the church. So that's number two. The first one is bad theology uh, keeps us from seeing everything God wants to teach us. Number two, when we see these times co coming, we have to respond. Well, how do you respond when you feel like you're being ha held captive? How do you respond when, when you're put into awkward situations? Well, I think what we can glean from this story is that we have to stick to the principles of the kingdom of God. You know, some of us are in harsh work environments. Some, some of us, there's, you know, there's, there's prejudice. There's, there's um, and, you know, it could be racial prejudice, but also it could be just unfair prejudice over one person over another. You know, some people could be getting credit for things that they're not even doing or taking credit for things. In other words, there's an unjust workplace. Well, in that workplace, how do you solve that pro problem when there's injustice? Well, what you do is you respond the way the scripture tells you to respond. You respond with humility and righteousness. And when you do those things, what we see in Daniel, what we see on his friends, is there's an anointing that comes that brings 10 times what anybody else can bring. That's not walking in kingdom. You have the ability to walk in something that you can't walk in if you don't commit to the ways of the Lord. And so we see that in the work environment. We can also see it in marriages. I mean, Scripture teaches when you're married to an unbeliever and there's, this, there's an unequally yoked union going on. Well, how do you bring, how do you bring health? How do you bring victory to that marriage? Well, the Bible says what you do is you emulate kingdom. You love them. You serve them. You treat them graciously. You're tender. You're, you're kind. You're, you're, you're merciful toward them. And it says about that behavior in that relationship that your spouse, your partner will be saved. You do that so your partner can be saved. You do it in marriage. So in every social inequality, how do you respond? You respond with the principles of the kingdom. Well, what about government oppression? Well, how do you respond to that? Well, it's clear in scripture. Submit to authority because God placed them here. There's no authority that's ever been put in place that God didn't choose. No authority has ever been put in place that God didn't choose. So how do you bring victory, health in those conditions? You respond kingdom. You respond kingdom. So remember, 
the church must take its own testimony and take it to heart because scripture so oftentimes given us a picture of what we're going to face and that's what we see with Daniel there's another point I want to make out in Daniel we're going to talk about the, 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 the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace at the end but I want to kind of skip ahead to chapter 6 because there's this I want to kind of get to the political uproar that we see going on and some of the things we see in our society it happens and it looks just like what we're seeing on the news it happens in Daniel chapter 6 verse 1 through 9 Let, let's, let's, look, let's take a look at that because we see in Daniel, we see corrupt politician, we see deceit, we see manipulation. But also in the same time as we see that, we see a group of people, these, these boys that are committed and determined steadfastly not to compromise the ways of God. And in that, they are able to bring, even Daniel, to, to, to bring help to that. Look at with me, if you would. Turn, turn with me, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to look at 1 through 9. So Darius is now king. Uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar is dead. His son is dead, and Darius is king. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. So in other words, he is establishing a government system. And so he's got these, he's got these representatives, 20 representatives over the whole kingdom and over those 20 representatives he he establishes three governors of whom daniel was one that the satraps might give account to the governors so that the king would suffer no loss and so and so they got this government this unbeliever darius who's an unbeliever set these representatives up and puts three governors over them. daniel's one of them and then it says daniel's got this this anointing, just like he, it, it refers to in, in chapter 1, it says, This Daniel, then this Daniel, distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because, circle because, an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. In other words, the king is saying, hey, man, this guy is doing an amazing job. I'm going to put him over everything else. And when, you, when, when that began to happen, you see these two other governors and these 20 satraps turn against Daniel and begin to find ways to bring him down. They begin to find ways to bring him down. And it, and it says this. It says, so... Say that with me. So, verse 4, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault. Daniel was committed to the ways of God, and because he was committed to the ways of God, he was submitted to an unbelieving king. He was submitted to an unbelieving king, practicing the ways of God, which bore fruit and brought prosperity. So the, then, uh, verse 5, then these three men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel, against this Daniel, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
And so, and so you hear, you find he's an upright dude. He's, he's obeying the law. He's working well with the king. He's doing, he's representing the king well, and he's prospering in it to such a degree that the king wants to put him over everything. And so these guys, these dudes, can't find any dirt on him. And so what they start doing is re- attacking his religion. They start attacking his God. So these governors and these satraps throng before the king, and they said this to the king, King Darius, you live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king established the decree inside Sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, Darius signed the written decree. And then we know the end of the story. Or maybe you don't know the end of the story. If you don't, or if you do, let me just remind you. It says that Daniel continued to do what he'd always done, and that is serve the Lord. He was, he was immovable. He was unmoved. It says, as he made it his habit, as he had established in his daily routine, he sat in front of that window and he called on the name of the Lord. Three times a day, three times a day, he called on the name of the Lord, even when this government oppression was trying to, to bring a charge against him falsely or at least with manipulation so in this environment we see this happening in the media on all sides we see this picture of manipulation we see this deceit we see corruption we see all this stuff going on what's the answer how Can you make positive change in this perverse culture? Well, let me just tell you. You've got to remember and you've got to believe that in the midst of all these hard times, if you will stick to the word of God, if you will make sure that you obey what it says, if you'll commit your way to the Lord, if you'll build your house on the rock, Jesus will always be in the fire with you. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And you're going to come out the outside. It said about the three Hebrew boys that they didn't even smell like they'd been around fire. Jesus promises he'll be with you. Jesus, Jesus promises he'll protect you. Jesus promises that he's your provision. So if the sparrow doesn't long, if the Lily, if the flower of the field gets what it needs, how much more love does the Father have for you to provide and bring provision to you what you need? So what we have to do as a church, vital, vital in this time, is that we would respond in faith, refusing to bow to the systems, the thought processes, and and the and the religions of this world. That we can't bow to anything except Jesus. We can't bow to anything 
except the word of God. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 15 through 18, this, this is again this, this whole manipulative, um, oppressive, corrupt environment is going on right there in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made you hear the sound of musical instruments. You know, I was reminded, uh, I'm reminded when I was in Jerusalem, you know, there would be a sound, the music would begin to play, and it, it, is, it was really eerie when the Muslims would begin to have their prayer time in the midst of, of Jerusalem, in the midst of the holy city. And, and there's oppression everywhere across the world. In, in countries that if you're not Muslim, if you're Christian and it's public, that you can be beheaded, you can be killed. And in that persecution and in that environment, this is what this is like in Daniel's time and they refused to bow. So when you hear those instruments, but if you refuse to bow, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace and then what God, small g, will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I love the respect and honor that they're still giving the one in authority. But even if he doesn't, we will not. Let's make it clear. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. We will never worship the gold statues that you set up. We will never submit to your ways. We submit to the ways of the kingdom. So our commitment today, how can I bring about positive change? Well, Daniel knew the ways of God. When he was brought into this tough, oppressive situation that he probably saw coming, he already knew the ways of God. He didn't have to learn the ways of God because he'd already studied it. He was always up to par. He was, he was ready for the thing that was set before him. And I just want to say to you today that, that your commitment today, I pray, is that you would commit to know the ways of God. That you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe just anybody that you hear. That this, this, this season and this culture of preacher after preacher after preacher, that you wouldn't make sure that what you hear, like the Bereans, was in this word and that, that it was taken in context and it actually was uh, being played out uh, in today's society the way the word of God intended it uh, to, be, to, to be communicated. So we got, we've got to know the ways of God. Second, we got to fight the pressure to bow. We got to fight the pressure to bow. There are so many different organizations that are pressuring you to bow. They're pressuring you to bow. The media is pressuring you to bow. The the political right is pressuring you to bow. The political left is pressuring you to bow. There are so many different ways that are pressuring you to bow now. I just want to say this in this political climate that we've got to make sure that the way we vote lines up with scripture. Way too many people vote what is beneficial to them versus what's in the word of God. 
And so I pray that the church would vote according to the word of God. And once we've done that, we can, we can know that we've done our part. And if the church will line up and it'll agree with the word of God, I believe a great revival's coming. I believe God's going to save and make America an amazing place to be in the years to come. I believe that the church will rise up. People are going to get saved. They're going to get healed. They're going to get delivered. Let me just tell you this. Let me say one more thing, too. That no situation, no oppression can take away your freedom. For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You're free. No matter what, you're free because you're His. And so we've got to know the ways of God. We've got to fight the pressure to bow to the ways of the world. And we've got to live by faith, believing that no matter what we have to walk through, because we're standing on the word, that Jesus is going to be in the fire. Jesus is in the fire with us. And as we line up with the church, as, as the church, as we line up with God, that that has the ability to bring freedom to bring health, to bring wisdom, to bring direction, to bring vision to a nation that desperately needs God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you, that you wrote it as if <laughs> you knew today was going to happen, that we were going to be living in times like we're living. And I thank you, God, that you give us the posture and position that we as the church can, can, can move in, in that will actually have the ability to bring health and freedom. And Father, I pray for the church. I pray that we'd be one as you're one with the Father. I pray that we would be unified and that we would love each other, that our identity would be in Christ, that we're the family of God. And God, that we wouldn't bow, we wouldn't, we wouldn't mix other religions, God, that we, would be, that we would be sold and steadfast believers of there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to enter heaven. There's only one way to bring kingdom. There's only one way to freedom. There's only one way to help. There's only one way, and that's Jesus. Father, help us unite around that. May your power, may your spirit enable, anoint us to do 10 times more than any other power. Because we're the church. Because we're yours. We thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.